0: right. Morning, Mercy House. If you're of elementary age, we're going to dismiss you up here and to the right. Just follow the uh, train of children. We're going to move this. I think guys have been standing over here. Oh, that's going to throw me off. I don't like that. I'll give it a shot. All right. Well, good morning. Again, my name is Tommy. I'm really glad to be with you this morning. I'm glad to be alive, actually. I just want to articulate my love for my wife, who has been at the Women's Retreat all weekend, um, and she is awesome because I get to experience a very small taste of her life raising our two children full-time for the last 48 hours, and I'm alive. We ate lots of chicken nuggets, and we made it here this morning, so very thankful, and she is just awesome, so a little cred to her where it belongs. But our women are, most of our women are away at the Women's Retreat. I hear it was an awesome weekend, um, and I'm really excited to hear all about what happened um, up in Tua this weekend. They got some beautiful weather as well, so that is always a good thing. <clears throat> so uh, again, welcome. My name is Tommy. Um, we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy this entire semester, and this week we're going through the, we're, we're getting to the last chapter of 2 Timothy. Um, and, and if you're just joining us, 2 right, Timothy is an epistle or, or a letter from the Apostle Paul to his friend, his mentee, his disciple, uh, Timothy. And, and as this letter unfolds, as we've been reading it on our own and also as we've been preaching about it, uh, what we're seeing is a really special relationship between these two people. It's not like this buddy-buddy, hey, what's up, what's going on, man? It's, it's likened to a father-son relationship that has really profound depth and meaning for, for both of these men. So Paul, as we see, he's coming from a place of of being a single dude, no wife, no children, and and Timothy, whose, whose past is alluded to briefly to suggest an absent or otherwise relationally insignificant father, so you've got these two pieces coming together, and the narrative alone paints this beautiful picture of God's compassion and heart for redemption as he pairs these two men together in what I would imagine um, fulfills some kind of deep longings, both to, to have children and also to, to have a father figure in their lives. And so it, it's a beautiful thing. It, it, it's grace is what it is. Is it necessary? No, n- not at all. Um, is God that awesome that he would use the narrative to tell this little micro story of love and, and redemption? Yeah, it's awesome, because he does that. And I think it's, it's really important to remember this about Paul and Timothy, um, and remember this relationship that they have. This, this isn't, as we're reading this letter, it, it's not an email from a CEO to an employee, right? Um, it, it's not this conversation between two coworkers or, or even just a couple of buddies hanging out. It, it's a letter from a father who's in prison, awaiting his death, to his son. He's passing on everything that, that he knows and has learned to be important and valuable for life and ministry. And so this helps inform the tone as we read it. Does it not? It helps, helps us understand the urgency, the seriousness, the, the tenderness that goes into some of these hard things that Paul is calling Timothy to. And so the beginning of chapter four um, is, is what um, Paul's really been building to this entire letter. In these five verses, Paul gives Timothy what appears to be the most crucial part of his ministry, and that is to preach the word, to preach the word. So my hope this morning um, is to illuminate the text to see how Timothy is called to preach, uh, for us to understand what it means to preach and and why we ought to preach and what do we preach, um, to actually learn how to preach, and then to send us off at the end um, out into the world to do exactly what Paul is calling Timothy to do, which is to go preach the word. So my goal for this short sermon is to just teach you and equip you to preach. So listen closely, maybe jot, some, some, jot down some notes, and, um, and we'll go from there. We might have the next Billy Graham sitting here. Who knows, right? So pay attention, and we'll see. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. God, thank you again for um, this time that we have protected um, in our schedule right now, Um, regardless of how we got here or what brought us here or what what has to happen after this, God. We thank you for this time where we can buckle down and hear from you. So I pray that as we read your word, um, that it would come to life, um, that it would speak life um, into us, that it would be transforming us, God. And we thank you that, that you do speak to us, that we have access to your word. And we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so if you have your Bibles, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, it's going to be, I believe it's going to be up behind us, I'm not sure, but um, open up your Bibles either way. Let's, let's start with verse 1. This is Paul saying, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, Right, let's pause right there. That's some pretty heavy backing to whatever he's about to say, is it not? Right. There's really no way that Paul could overstate the importance of what he's about to tell Timothy to do. So the word charge here, Paul says, I charge you. It translates um, to a strong word in the biblical Greek, diomatoramai. It, it also is, is, is translated as to, to testify somebody to do something. So the idea here is, is that Paul is giving a solemn testimony to Timothy, a testimony that Timothy must heed. And so that verb that I mentioned, dia um uh, has legal connections that, that can mean to testify under oath in the court of law or, or to adjure a witness to do something. That's the word charge that Paul is using. So when Paul says, I charge you, he's invoking a sense of legal duty and, and obligation to this. Right? You don't use this word when you're just asking somebody for a favor. You you certainly don't go on to say, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, when you want your friend to pick you up something at the store, right? This is a pretty serious charge. So I imagine when, when Timothy is reading this, he probably sat up a little bit straighter in his chair, right? He's probably paying very close attention to what's coming right after this. Paul is not only charging... Timothy to do something uh, with, with this weight of kind of a legal duty and obligation, but he's inviting witnesses into this charge, right? And, and it's not just his cellmate or the prison guard as Paul's in prison right now. He's saying, as God the Father and Jesus Christ as our witness to this, the Jesus who's going to judge the living and the dead, the Jesus who will appear again and reign as king in his new kingdom that's about to come, I charge you, Timothy, Can we just agree, right, that there's really no way that Paul can make this any more serious? We need to see this. Paul is brought, uh, he brought out the biggest guns possible here. It's almost unfair, right, for Timothy. But what it communicates is the value and importance and the cruciality of what he's calling Timothy to do. Which is what? Verse 2? Anybody? Preach the word. Yes, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The value of preaching the gospel cannot be understated. It cannot be understated. For, for Timothy, preaching is not just another one of the spiritual disciplines that, that needs to be tacked on for him to be a spiritually mature, godly man. It's not just another chore or a checklist item that Paul is giving him to do as Paul goes off to prison, possibly dies, and hands off the ministry. He's not like, oh, make sure you also do some preaching. No, he's building this up significantly. It is wholly central to his calling in ministry. And we'll unpack that in a minute, but first, what, what is preaching, right? What, what is preaching? One of the biggest barriers to growing in our understanding as, as followers of Jesus, grow, uh, growing in our understanding of scripture and learning more about God through his word, is when we run past words or parts of scripture that, that seem familiar, right? Words or ideas that we've heard before, or maybe that we've been taught before or memorized before, But let me tell you, when we do this, when we look at Scripture and read it and we see a word or a concept that like, oh, that triggers something I've heard or listened to or I just know that word, uh, we really do risk missing the beauty and the depth of the words because we don't have the humility and the patience to just slow down and ask really simple questions. So I, I see this all the time, both in, in, in the relationships I have with um, other disciples, other people who are following Jesus, but also in my own life, as I, as I scurry through my quiet times, when I'm super busy and I'm just trying to cruise through that Bible reading, I'm not able to slow down and ask those simple questions. So what does it mean to preach? Preaching is a common enough word and, 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 and a common enough idea, right? It's, it's what I'm doing right now, or at least trying to do right now. As we look at the word that's used here for preach in the Greek, it's, it's not the word for teach or to explain. And we'll talk in a minute about how those two elements can be part of the preaching, but the word here is kerexon, kerexon. Um and, and, and the word means to herald, to announce, or to proclaim. To herald, to announce, or to proclaim. And, and there's this, this partnered communication when you preach, um, as you communicate on behalf of of another person or another message. It's hard for us really to conceptualize this today, just because there's so many voices and so much chatter, and honestly, so much preaching that does happen. But a herald at the time when this was written, uh, would have been someone with, with the, uh, coming in the authority of the king, the, the person who they're speaking in, on behalf of, and, and they're communicating a new decree or, or an announcement um, that would affect everyone listening. It, it, would, it, would make, it would change the lives of every single person listening, whatever they were communicating. And they'd say, hear ye, hear ye. Right? We know those words from English literature class, right? Hear ye, hear ye, which is, hey, listen up. Everybody listen to what I'm about to say. And what they would do is is they would continue communicating with that authority. They'd say, the king has declared that any who swear allegiance to his throne will receive an absolute pardon from all of their debts and the gift of eternal protection and life in his kingdom. That affects everybody. John Piper in this book, I actually brought it up here, It's called The Supremacy of God in Preaching. It's a short read. I like books this size, right, because I can get through them. Um, But if you're looking for an awesome book on preaching, I highly recommend it. It's called The Supremacy of God in Preaching by John Piper. John Piper is old, old, he's still alive. He's older. He's older than myself. Um, He's been around. He's been preaching. I mean, he's been preaching the gospel for longer than I've been alive. Uh, maybe twice the amount of time I've been alive. So he's been preaching for a long time. Um, I've always looked up to him as a preacher and a, as a biblical scholar. But he says this in this book. He says, preaching, preaching is the public exaltation over the truth that it brings. It is not disinterested or cool or neutral. It is not mere explanation. It is manifestly and contagiously passionate about what it says contagiously passionate about what it says. I think that's a good place to start for us to understand what preaching is. Preaching is contagious, contagiously passionate proclamation. Contagiously passionate proclamation. So by, de- by this definition, we see preaching a lot today, do we not? And just go on to YouTube and search keto diet, right? There's no shortage of people who are going to preach to you the value of going keto right now. Or maybe search the best way to take care of your hair. People are like fanatics about how the be- whether you use baking soda or just water or like use all these chem- like whatever, right? There's like all these different ways to take care of your hair, but people will preach it to you. They have entire YouTube channels dedicated to preaching these messages. Uh, one of the- my favorite people to watch, just for comedic purposes, is Gordon Ramsay, right? Because he's like. You could just Google, like, how do I cook a steak, and you go on YouTube, and he's, like, screaming at you, like, the only way to cook a steak is this way, right? But he's straight to the point. I like it, and by the end of the day, I have a pretty good steak because of that, right? So there are some people, as we interact with them, both in person and whether they're online personalities, um, they're not only instructing people, but they kind of, like, build on this excitement. They they help share their excitement for a certain experience, and, and, and they do that as they teach. So whether it's the latest trendy diet or or fitness craze or like the necessity of having a standing desk, remember that, um, how to manage your finances, uh, those who are passionate and excited about things just can't help but be excited and preach as they communicate that to other people. But obviously the content of preaching is key here. Paul is not charging Timothy to preach the, the latest fashion trend or pop culture phenomenon. He's charging him to preach what? What is he supposed to be preaching? The word of God. Verse two, the word of God. I like this new interaction. This is good. I'm going to keep running with this. You preach the word of God. Why do we preach the word of God? Why do we preach the word of God? Well, I'm going to give you four reasons. One, and we're going to take these from Second uh, Timothy as we read through the letter. I think that these become apparent. Uh, one, we preach the word of God because it is the gospel. We preach the word of God, the scriptures, because it is the gospel. Second Timothy verse one, uh, chapter 1 verse 8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We preach the word because the word, the scriptures, are the gospel, the good news of redemption. So from Genesis to Revelation, it is God's story of our redemption and our salvation. And so the word of God, it is the good news of God. And, and it's this testimony that Paul is encouraging Timothy to not be ashamed of right here. In, in these letters and in these words, this Bible. I brought this up just so I could do that. So that's the first reason. We preach the word of God because it is the gospel. The second reason we preach the word of God is because it is truth and it is wisdom. It is truth and it is wisdom. In 2 Timothy 2.15, we see Paul saying, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The word of truth. The word of God, it, as we read scripture, it is the most solid, the most firm, unshakable thing that we can rest on. It, it's not subject to human emotion. It doesn't change with our circumstances. It doesn't bend when life gets tough or, or, or when things um, go really, really well. The, the word of God doesn't diminish, right? It doesn't fade as we experience life abundantly as, as God designs us to experience it through him, it doesn't change. It is a solid rock. In Second Timothy 3.16, this is what Billy was talking about last week, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not only is it this solid anchor that we can rest our lives on, uh, but it's also capable of producing fruit in our lives as well. And Billy did a, a great job unpacking the value of God's word and helping us navigate the, the challenges and the different seasons of life. So I highly encourage you, if you didn't listen to that, grab it on our podcast. It, it was last week. So we, we, we preach the word because it, it is the solid rock that we can rest on. It is, it is truth. And, and it's also capable of producing much more fruit than any other thing we could preach on. Third reason why, why we preach the word of God. We, we preach the word of God because it is God's word. It is God's word. Second Timothy 3.16, we just read that. All scripture is breathed out by God. The, the reason why it is the most solid form of truth and the most fruitful wisdom that we can read is because it is the very words of God Think about that for a minute, if you haven't recently. Think about the fact that at any given moment, whether you're at work, whether you're laying in your bed, whether you're just out for a walk, at any moment, you can stop. You have the ability to stop what you're doing to read the very words of God, the very words of God, whether that's in a Bible app, if you're carrying a pocket Bible or your big old Bible, whatever. You can pause, you can stop life, and you can read the words from the creator of the universe himself. We can read uh, what he wants to say to us, to communicate to us. We can see God in action um, through the ages, how he's interacted with man from the very beginning until now. So we preach the word of God because it is the very words of God himself, not, not the mad scribblings of a psychotic cult leader, not fabrications or delusions of a person with just too much time on their hands and, and overactive imagination. no. Not, to, get, uh, not to, to read a get-rich-quick scheme or, or 10 steps to a better you. The, the words of our creator breathed out, written down, recorded for us to be able to read in a simple Bible app. You go, and you can read the word of God. Reason four why we preach the word of God. We preach the word of God because it has power. It has power power. Romans 1, 16, and 17, um, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There is power, literal power, in the word of God in a way that there is not in the, in the words of man, Right? There, there is, like, some people have power in their voice and, and the things that they can say. They have the power to give raises, to fire people. Um, some people have power to put people in prison, uh, to make people wealthy, maybe even to kill somebody. But nobody has the power, in their words or, or otherwise, um, to redeem the lives of cosmically broken individuals, uh, to redeem them back to the creator of the universe himself, save one person. And that is God himself. That is power. There's this really great story about um, Charles Spurgeon. Um, and, and Chris Gow told me this one day. We were talking about preaching. And uh, so this is from a book that he, he wrote called We Shall See God. And I'm just going to read this because it, it's awesome. So he, this is Spurgeon speaking. He's a really famous preacher. Um, he's, he's spoken in, in front of tons and tons of people. And this is him writing. He says, In in 1857, a day or two before preaching at the Crystal Palace, I went to decide where the platform should be fixed. And in order to test the acoustic properties of the building, cried in a loud voice, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That was his sound check. That was his mic check. In one of the galleries, a workman who knew nothing of what was being done heard the words, and they came like a message from heaven to his soul. He was smitten with conviction on account of his sin, put down his tools, went home, and there, after a season of spiritual struggling, found peace and life by beholding the Lamb of God. It was on his deathbed, this is continuing his, uh, in the book, it was on his deathbed that this man told a story of his conversion, the result of God speaking to him through a single verse of Scripture uttered by Spurgeon. When Spurgeon preached in that building a day or two later, it was to a crowd of 23,654 people. But such is the power of Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin, not only of the world, not only of the potential 23,654 people, but of one lone man working in a building when a preacher came to test the acoustics. This man will forever be grateful that when Spurgeon stood up in front to do a sound check, he did not simply count to ten. Right? There is power in the word of God. So let's do a quick summary. Paul's charge to Timothy is to preach the word. um, To preach the word because the word is is the good news of the gospel. The the word is this bedrock of truth and wisdom. The the word is the very word of God himself that he graciously gives us access to. And the word, word, unlike any other words, are actually full of power. They have power. And while Paul is raising up Timothy to to be a pastor um, and using these letters to coaching him up in that calling, it doesn't mean that that this charge to Timothy to preach is, is reserved just for Timothy, for Pastor Timothy. We are all, as followers of Christ, called to preach the Word. We are all as followers of Christ called to preach the word. We just did a four-part series before this one, um, four-part sermon series, um, on what it means to be a disciple, to, to be a follower of Jesus. And a huge part of that is answering Jesus' command for us to make disciples. That's what he calls his disciples to do. And disciples can't be made without the communication, the proclamation, the preaching of the gospel. Romans ten seventeen says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, right? So there has to be this communication of the gospel to people to receive faith. So if you're sitting here thinking, I'm not a preacher, man. Well, I would push back a bit and say, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are called to be a preacher, man, right? (laughs) All, all, all pastors, right? people in a pastoral role, um, they're, they're called to be able to preach, but preaching is not reserved for those in the office of pastor. Does that make sense? You following that logic? Preaching the word is something that we're all called to do regardless of office or opportunity. All right, so are you ready, preachers? Right? You ready? We know what to preach, the word of God. This is a quick aside, but when I was first learning how to preach, um, the, the, my pastor came up to me and we, we did a bunch of classes. We had to preach in front of people. We learned about all these different things. And uh, right before we, we, we go up to preach, he goes, if you just stood up there and read scripture and sat down, that would be an A sermon. That's an A sermon. Right, so (laughs) we know what to preach, the word of God. If you get up here and you're given the opportunity to preach and you have no idea what to do, you open up scripture and you read scripture and you say amen, you sit down, that's a great sermon. That's a great place to start, right? So we know what to preach. And you should, right? Um, by the way that Mercy House approaches Sunday morning preaching, and, and by the way that, that, that the, the elders and others really work hard to protect the pulpit um, and rigorously plan and pray about what gets said here on a Sunday morning, um, that, that should help you see the weight of preaching and, and how to approach it in your personal life as well. Does that make sense? So no Sunday morning preaching slot is is ever taken lightly, right? It's never like, all right, who's free next weekend? Corey, what are you doing next weekend? You want to preach? Right. It's it's never like that. If you look at, we have like a a 30-page preaching document that has every sermon lined up for the entire year. Partly that was because Robert was leaving on a sabbatical and he wanted to make sure that that was all. But it is there, right? So we know every single preacher, every single sermon text, all of the songs that are being sung between now and the end of the year, right? There's a lot of planning and thought that goes into that. It's never taken lightly. And, and nor should it for you as, as you are given opportunities to preach to your friends, your family, your neighbors, or, or your coworkers. It's important in these opportunities to preach the Word. Preach the Word. Not our thoughts, not our ideas, not our speculations or our different philosophies, but to preach the Word. This is why you'll never hear a self-help sermon at Mercy House. Our preaching is always going to be firmly rooted in the Word of God. Piper puts it really well in this book. He says, it is not the job of the Christian preacher to give people moral or psychological pep talks about how to get along in the world. When that is needed, someone else can do it. But most of our people have no one, no one in the world to tell them week in and week out about the supreme beauty and majesty of God. So how do we go about preaching the word of God? How do we preach the word of God? Verse two says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preaching is not merely uh, teaching. A- a- an aspect of preaching is, is being able to help others understand concepts and ideas that, that are being laid out in Scripture as we read it. Um, but, but the preacher takes the next step, because the subject matter of God's Word always demands a response. The, the Word of God it, is not an ed-op piece from God. Remember, it, it is truth. It is the gospel. It affects every single human being ever. And so it's not, um, it, it doesn't affect people in a minor way either. The word of God, it dives deep into the nature of who we are on a soul level with eternal implications, right? So when you hear the word of God, it's not something that's just like, oh, oh, well, interesting, cool. You can have that response, but what it demands is an actual response to what God is communicating in that passage. Preaching involves illuminating and helping us understand truths as we read Scripture, but it also involves pointing out where things don't line up to those truths. And it involves encouraging people to take action in light of those untruths. It involves correction, correction. And Paul gives us these three words um, that make up healthy biblical correction um, that can be done through preaching. These three words are reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove. Um, <clears throat> the meaning is, is to correct or to expose. Reproof is, is going to be providing honest assessment when something is not the way that it should be. And so the challenge here for many of us is giving honest feedback to our brothers and our sisters in light of God's word. But no one wants to be that person. Um, we we, we want to kind of just like get along with people and not ruffle any feathers. And, and giving reproof means helping to expose the things that don't line up with the truth of the gospel in the lives of the people around us. That is not an easy thing to do, but it's what we're called to. So the question for us is, are we able to give honest feedback to our brothers and sisters based on God's word? And again, this isn't going to be from a place of pride or, or what we think the standard should be trying to align others to what our standard is, but ob- objectively looking at the word of God and giving honest feedback to our brothers and sisters when it's being asked for. Are we able to do that? That's reproving. Rebuking. So the, the word rebuke, epitomal, my, mayo, means to, to censor or admonish um, and by implication to forbid something. So it's essentially to call someone out, not just to give feedback when someone asks for it, but actually to assert ourselves into a position where we're communicating something that's, that, that's, that's very clearly wrong or off. So this is a, um, a great idea, a way to think about it. Um, this is an author of a blog that I follow. He says th- This is the only place where Paul uses this word. Uh, but it appears almost 30 times in the New Testament. This is the word rebuke. Over 30 times in the New Testament, um, mostly in the Gospels, and in every instance but one, uh, Jesus is the one doing the rebuking. Jesus is the one doing the rebuking. So, a few examples Matthew 8, 26. This is, Jesus, uh, this is about Jesus. It says, He rose and rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. Matthew 17, 18. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Luke 4.39, he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her, right? There's some forceful, commanding presence through this rebuke. Preaching is, is not just teaching, not just exposing shortcomings, but speaking up and calling, uh, the, calling one another to repent from sin that, that is either crippling or just stifling them, them of their joy. So the question for us is, um, are we not just giving honest feedback, but are we kind of maybe going out of our way to call people out of sin? That's a hard thing, but that's what rebuke is. And we do this out of a love for people, for their good, out of compassion, not a place of anger, pride, resentment. That's what the rebuke is. The call <clears throat> to adhere to what God calls us to, um, it has to come from a place of compassion. And, and that's what really drives this last word that Paul gives us, um, to exhort. So the word exhort here is, is to call near, that is to invite or, or to invoke, to beseech or to call for, um, to, to, to desire, to pray earnestly. And Paul uses this word four times in 1 Timothy to urge or encourage or to appeal to the other brothers in the faith. And the word is translated in a number of ways in the New Testament, including to plead, to urge, to comfort, appeal to, or beg somebody. So a few examples of this in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans 16, 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions. 1 Corinthians 4, 16, I urge you, be imitators of me. Ephesians 4, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, there, there's this compassionate plea as we exhort our brothers and our sisters. Um, there's an aim to build each other up in our faith, in our hope, and, and, and in our love, um, not, not to motivate out of a place of guilt or shame, but to make corrections for the purpose of encouragement and restoration back to Jesus. That's what it looks like to exhort. Are, are we doing this? Are we, do, are we, when we're given opportunities or, or when we see the window to be able to exhort our brothers and our sisters, are we doing it? Again, this is challenging. But that's how we approach preaching the word of God through reproof, through rebuke, and through exhortation. So when do we preach? When do we preach? Well, we preach all the time. Preach all the time. Practically, I think that there's um, some use of wisdom to to determine when is it appropriate to preach where someone would be maybe most likely to receive it. Um, But generally, whenever there is truth and good news that is required, you need to preach the gospel, right? You need to preach the gospel. It has very little to do with convenience, comfort, or opportunity when you're supposed to preach the gospel. Paul says in verse two, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There are going to come times when you preach the gospel and it will feel like it is falling on deaf ears. There will be times when you preach the word of God and it is so clear to you how your brother or sister is directly opposing what God is is calling them to in that passage of scripture and they just will not acknowledge it. It will frustrate you. It will break your heart. It it will make you wonder if God's word um, is actually true and whether or not God's word actually has power. But Paul says in Romans 3, 4, let God be true, though everyone else were a liar. There will be people you preach to, as it is with every single Sunday morning at Mercy House, who just don't want to hear it. It just conflicts, it goes against the grain of what they have conceptualized as their path through life. And they don't want to hear it but they're still here, God's good, right? It's like a, a miracle that they're still here and, and they're listening and, and it's like it's coming into their ears, but it's just like, I, I don't wanna hear it. That's what Paul is communicating here. And maybe they do hear it, right? But it, it, it doesn't take root inside them. It doesn't cause any change. It doesn't transform them in any discernible way. But for you as preachers, don't be disheartened. I say this to the Mercy House preachers who, who step up into this pulpit, and as you look out and stand out there, you're going to see people falling asleep, other people on their phone. Like, it happens. I will be honest about it, and it's very easy to be disheartened, but but I also communicate this not just to the preachers who come up here, but to all of you as you go and as you preach to those around you, as you speak the truth of God's word into the lives of people around you, and, and as you don't see change, as you don't see transformation, don't stop preaching. Preach in season when you're, when you're seeing fruit and preach out of season when it seems like all of your work is futile. That's what Paul is calling Timothy to do, to be steadfast in his preaching no matter what, even if you don't see fruit. One last quote from this book, like I mentioned, I really love it. Piper, toward the end, he says, God will hide from you much of the fruit You will see enough to be assured of his blessing, but not so much as to think you could live without it. For God aims to exalt himself, not the preacher, in this affair of preaching. It's not about you. It is about making much of God. So how do we prepare ourselves for preaching? So we know what to preach, we know how to preach, we know when to preach. How do we prepare ourselves for preaching? Well, throughout all of Paul's letter, we see uh, him preparing Timothy to preach. He's been preparing Timothy to receive this calling. He's he's building kind of the necessary groundwork for him to be an effective preacher. And and here's the trajectory of the letter. So at the beginning, 2 Timothy verse 1 8 says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. First part is you can't be ashamed of what you're preaching. This is life for Timothy. So that's a place where it starts. Is Paul saying, Don't be ashamed of this testimony. The second part, 2 Timothy verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, says hold fast to the pattern of sound words. This is practicing what you preach, right? So he's saying, Timothy, you cannot preach what you are not experiencing. You need to live this out from Monday through Saturday for you to be able to communicate clearly on it on Sunday. So that's how you prepare. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, the, the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses commit these to faithful men. So again, there's this faithfulness to the gospel as you're preaching it. 2 Timothy 2.15, rightly dividing the word of truth, helping others and yourself to, to discern what is right and what is wrong in Scripture. 2 Timothy 2.24, a servant of the Lord must be able to teach. So growing in our, in our ability to communicate and teach and, 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 and illuminate the text for those around us. That's an aspect of preaching. So we see Timothy's trajectory throughout this letter, or at least what what Paul is laying out is a trajectory. That's a hard one. Trajectory. And we're seeing that preaching, right, while relatively simple, there are lots of components to it. And a lot of those come from uh, the character of the preacher themselves and how they are walking before the Lord. And so that is something that we see Paul calling them out of, uh, calling Timothy um, toward. And so... I have a couple of final thoughts here and then we're going to wrap up. Um, verse five, Paul says, as for you, be, um, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. It's kind of the sign off to the preaching section. Be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. I think if you want to be an effective preacher, there are three things that we're seeing here. One, you have to be sober-minded It means you have to be watchful. You have to be sharp. The work of preaching is challenging. It is not easy. It requires a lot of critical thinking and not just speaking before you think, but a lot of thinking to communicate the very word of God in a a coherent way that makes sense to other people, right? That's what Paul is saying. First of all, you gotta be sober-minded. Keep your wits about you. This is not something that you can do in your sleep. This requires a lot of energy to submit yourself to the Word of God as you communicate to others. I am never more exhausted than after preaching on Sunday. I, I'm just exhausted. I go home, and, and I play with my kids as much as I can, and during the fall, we just watch football, but I am exhausted, and come Monday morning, I, I am completely empty, right? And I, I don't know what that is. I mean, it's difficult. It's not like I'm running a marathon. i I'm, st- I'm st- taking like, three steps in the last 40 minutes, Right? But there is a mental taxing that happens when you communicate the word of God. It is is a burden that you bear. So be sober-minded, be watchful, remain sharp. Second thing, to be an effective preacher, I think we're seeing here, Paul says, endure suffering. So prepare yourself. When you put yourself in a position to preach, you're painting a big old cross on your back to the enemy and to the people all around you that that says, I stand for this. This is what I am marking my life on. And that is not something to be taken lightly. And it isn't taken lightly. And a lot of that, th- there can be a lot of fear and reservation because when you say whatever you say, like you can't take those words back, right? Like this is being recorded. It's going to be blasted online, right? So there's a seriousness, a very clear seriousness to the words that you communicate when you preach. And when that happens, it puts you out there. And Paul is saying, listen, it's not going to be all rosy walks on the beach as you decide to preach. This is going to bring even more challenge to you, even more um, confrontation than you've ever had before because you are standing in front of people communicating something that, as we saw earlier, it is not meshing with every single person that is hearing it. So prepare um, to endure suffering. The last thing is... Um, when, when Paul says, do the work of an evangelist, uh, this often is um, understood to communicate that Timothy himself isn't an evangelist, right? He's not naturally going to the edges and talking to people who aren't believers, so Paul is encouraging him to make sure that he continues to be outward-facing as he pastors the church. And I think what we see here is, as you're preaching, don't just preach to the choir. Don't just preach, the, like, it is easy in your small group to preach, relatively, right? It is much more difficult to go in a place of work or where you go to school or where you live to stand up and to communicate the gospel, right? So I think that that's kind of the encouragement that Paul is giving Timothy here is, hey, do the work of evangelists. Make sure you're preaching to the choir because they need the gospel too, but preach to everyone else as well. So... At the end of every time we preach, we take communion. And it always ties into communion because communion is the gospel. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup after dinner and said, this is the covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. In a minute, we're gonna take communion. And we take communion... As a way to remember the gospel, to experience the gospel, um, to communicate our need um, and our, our, our desperate need of God's grace as we come down the center aisle, we put our hands out, and we're given that grace in the form of communion. My personal, if I could put any personal anecdote on preaching and in my experience of preaching, uh, what I've experienced is that preaching is just as much, if not more, for me than it is for you. It, it is probably more for me, by God's grace, than it is for you through, through the years. And wh- what I mean by this is when we preach, we communicate the truths that we often may not fully believe. I mean, I believe, but like help my unbelief. And there are times that I am forced to wrestle with truths and ideas as they're laid out in Scripture to experience this personal reproof, rebuke, and exhortation through God's Word in order for that to be communicated to other people. And that process is an enormous blessing. And so the reason why I tell you this is as you are sent to preach, right, right now you have the ability to preach to yourself as you come down this aisle. When you take communion, you are declaring truths that are seen in Scripture to yourself. You're challenging yourself to live by them. You're calling out things that aren't lining up with what God is calling us to do. And you're exhorting yourself to adhere to God's word. Everyone has an opportunity to preach. And even as you sing these songs of worship, we're we're preaching, we're we're proclaiming. It is contagiously passionate um, uh, proclamation of God's word. So you're going to preach as you sing. You're going to preach as you come down and you take communion. And at the end of this, we'll send you out to preach where you go as well. If you're new here and you've never taken communion, you're going to uh, form two lines down the middle, and you're going to grab your communion and swing around the outside, grab your cups, and return back to your seats. You don't have to wait for a cue. You don't have to wait for anything. You can take it um, whenever you're ready to do that. Um, we'll have the worship band also come up as I start praying. Um, they're going to play some music, and we're going to sing a couple more songs. Um, and we will we'll go from there. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this morning where we can um, hear from you. We thank you for your word um, that is true, that we can ground and root ourselves in. God, we thank you that you um, have built us in such a way where we can get joy and excitement out of um, uh, preaching and, and communicating you. And so I pray for us as, as we examine ourselves and look for opportunities to communicate your gospel to those around us, God, that, um, that you would, yeah, that, that, that we wouldn't be hindered by shame or guilt if we haven't been doing this, but that you would just paint a picture, a paint a vision for what it would look like for us um, to preach, God. We pray that you would equip us. Um, we thank you for already providing your word for us to preach. Thank you for this instruction that we see Paul giving to Timothy. And I pray now as we receive your grace, God, um, that that we would experience the gospel um, and that as we sing these songs that we would be preaching the gospel to ourselves first. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.